0: Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10:30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Well, I am uh, batching it this weekend. Megan is roughing it in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, she. Uh, had a uh, fundraising golf scramble yesterday for her work, and so she's down there, and, and uh, she'll be back sometime this week. I want to address a pressing issue, and no, I'm not talking about Chinese spy balloons. Um, some of you have given me some guff about my hair. Let me be very clear about this. When I preach, I have an audience of one. When I go home, I have a critic of one, and she likes it. <laughs> so, you lose. I, if my wife says, you know, I'm kinda liking it, I'm like, well, then I'm kinda growing it. Uh, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not cutting it if you like it, so there you go. It also, you know, because I'm pressing down here in a couple months, be, I will be 51 years of age I was talking to this my my doctor this morning coming up on 51 in April and this was my hair's length at 16 and it kind of makes me feel like 16 yeah get me the ripped jeans and the Metallica t-shirt and let's go um all right that's true <laughs> now the ripped jeans I don't have anymore Ricky but the Metallica t-shirt yeah I've got that um So anyway, be praying for Megan as she travels back. Bless her heart. I don't know if you've traveled by plane lately, but it's a mess. Um, She was supposed to get to Jacksonville Thursday night at uh, 10 o'clock. She got there at 1.30 in the morning uh, because of delay after delay after delay and all that other kind of stuff. And then she had to be up early Friday morning because Friday morning we were uh, recording a podcast for four hours uh, she produces and I host a podcast called The Senior Pastor Podcast, uh, which features Don Wilson from CCV, which is a church of 30,000 people out in Phoenix. <clears throat> Bob Russell, uh, the founding pastor of Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, which is a church of about 20,000 people. And um, Ken Eidelman, who's the former president of Ozark Christian College, and then was the lead pastor of Crossroads Christian Church in Indiana, which is a church of 10,000 people. And then... Uh, they have this old fella named Scott Rawlings on. So um, you can go listen to that, if you will. We recorded for about four hours. We break them up into 25 minute bits and, and Megan puts them out there. Um, couple other things, make sure. I, I wasn't, cause I was, dad was talking my ear off and I didn't get to uh, hear, you know, I heard a little bit of worship and Caitlin always does a fantastic job, does she not? Uh, yeah. Uh, but just just a few announcements, you know, that you need to take note of. One, always take a bulletin home with you and always be praying over the people in that bulletin. We've got people in there who are having surgery and, and going through a rough time. Vicki Lewis was back in the hospital this week. Fortunately, things are, are headed in the right direction for her, but she's having really a struggle with her white platelets, her count, and and, and so forth. But fortunately, she texted me last night and said things were headed— in the right direction so but keep praying for her and others um always do that every single day be praying for all of those folks and be sure to sign up for the storm Brachet blood drive um lynn's out there 15th storm Brachet blood drive coming up that's hard to imagine but 15th uh storm Brachet blood drive also tuesday night you can show up here at 6 30 We do a small group uh, Bible study that I lead. Um, We used to do it in the student center. Now we do it uh, back over here. And uh, we play a game for half an hour. You don't have to play if you don't want to. And then we do, uh, we're going through the gospel of John. So all that stuff. All righty. We have made it through Judges. We're working through the entire Bible under the gospel project. What I preach here, the kids are learning back there so that you can disciple your own kids, because you'll need to, or otherwise the culture will do it for you. And we're going to talk a lot about culture this morning as it pertains to what we want and what God wants. And we're looking at Hannah's prayer. We're in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 1 through 11, and then we'll skip ahead to 19 through 20, and we'll briefly hit uh, 1 Samuel 2. But I want you to pay very close attention to Hannah's prayer and whether it reminds you of anything and and, and what's in there. So, 1 Samuel 1. Now, remember, we're coming after the period of the judges. And, guys, I've got an echo, and it's kind of sounding weird up here. I don't know what the deal is. But, uh, um, guys, hear me okay? Okay. 1 Samuel 1. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuth in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth of Ephraim. Aren't you glad you know that? Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penaniah. Penaniah had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of heaven's armies. Notice that language there. That's actually a much better Hebrew translation than than other English translations. It often says the head of the armies or or, or so forth. You need to remember this when you face each day, hopefully with prayer. God has an army. And it's an, an invisible, unkillable force. This is why Paul says often, the Bible says often, Who should you fear? No one. No one. For if God is with you, who can be against you? Sacrifice the Lord of heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a place where the Lord's presence would dwell especially. There was the Ark of the Covenant and so forth, and the Lord's presence would be there. And the priests of the Lord at the time were the two sons of Eli. Hophni and Phinehas. And on the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to at each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penaniah would ta- taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. You need to remember, the Bible is very clear. It is God who opens and closes the womb. Year after year, it was the same. Penn and I would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears. It would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted? Just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? And every wife went, and rolled their eyes at that statement. You got me. Oh, yeah, I'm sleeping with another woman, but you got me. You got all this. <laughs> no wonder Hannah went, thanks. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli, the priest, was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, there it is again, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. See? Yeah, somebody's being biblical up here. The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship. The Lord once more. And then they returned home to Ramah when Elkanah slept with Hannah. The Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. A little bit of background here. In ancient Israel, in the ancient world period, people tried to have as many kids as they could. Now, today, we look on that as something strange. You get a reality show if you have a dozen kids, right? And we think it's weird. And and, and I've been in places where people actually shame people for having children. For the first time, I was in Ithaca, New York, when I was called. I was toting my son around in his stroller, and this was the very same day, I, I, I went to law school in upstate New York, and at that time, at that university, John Cleese of Monty Python fame was teaching a class on comedy. And so, I'm pushing my son in the stroller, and the first thing I see is John Cleese coming up, and we had met a few weeks before at a breakfast uh, place in downtown Ithaca, And John Cleese was fascinated that I had on my table a law book and a Bible. And I was studying both because I was preaching at the Ithaca Church of Christ why I was going to law school. And he thought that was fascinating. He came over and sat at my table, and we talked for a while. And then a week or two later, I see him walking around campus, and he comes up to me and remembered me. And I told my son, he doesn't remember this because he was like six months old, but he came up and, you know, shook my son's hand and tickled his, you know, his neck and all that kind of stuff, and Jackson giggled. And, and then I walk on, and somebody looks at me and goes, ugh, a breeder. A breeder. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You gotta, now, you got to keep this in mind. I was at a dinner party one night at that same place, This is a place that sells T-shirts with a hammer and sickle and says, welcome to the People's Republic of Ithaca. So keep that in mind. And I was at a dinner party one night, and somebody was in front of me, and they were at a tea bar. Let me repeat that. They were at a tea bar. They were serving different kinds of tea. And so this woman ordered her tea, and someone asked, do you want honey? And the woman replied, I don't use honey. That's the enslavement of bees. It's that kind of place, all right? Ooh, you're a lot of fun. Can't wait to party down with you. Um, But in this day and age where we're reading about when Hannah is making her prayer, you wanted to have kids. You wanted to have a lot of kids. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Everybody had a farm. Everybody had a family business. more kids you had, the more farmhands you had. The more income you had. And, and, and people get this confused. When the Bible says, honor your father and mother, what the writers meant by that in Scripture is that when they grow older and they can no longer take care of themselves, you take care of them. That's what honor your father and mother mean. It's funny, I'm seeing people look around at their kids and grandkids right now, and I think that's funny. Um, grandkids, don't blame me. I didn't write it. Um, but that, if that's what that means. And so if you had a bunch of kids, then you had people who more people to take care of you when you were older. And so that was the culture. The culture of the time was have as many kids as you can. Now, I don't have a problem with that. I really don't. I, you know, when I look at the world that we're living in, the absolute insanity that's going on. I used to watch the news. I used to have it on on mute in the background all day. I don't anymore. It's just too depressing. I get the headlines and I move on. You look at the the, the horrible tragedy in Memphis and, you, you know, got Chinese balloons going all over the United, I mean, it's just crazy. It's nuts. And we got a lot of nutty people out there. And so I tell Christians, if you're a dedicated Christian and you are dedicated to raising your children in the church and raising them to be godly people, have lots of kids. Because in our culture, if you can't beat them, outbreed them. I'm all for it have as many as you can. But I know many people look at this and they say how weird this is, how strange this is. Maybe you look at it and say how sexist that is that a woman is just expected just to have all these kids. What a weird culture. Really? Because we're so evolved and we've progressed so far that our culture doesn't have any weird norms that women are expected to live up to anymore. You don't look at billboards, magazines, TV, movies, or Instagram and see any pressure, do you ladies? To be a certain way? Give me a break. If you're debating which is healthier, have children or look hot to the point in your 60s, you're getting so much Botox, you look like you're running into a hurricane. Which one do you think is healthier? I think having kids may be just a smidge healthier. This is, the, this is the culture that Hannah is, is facing, and, and she has shame over it because she doesn't have any children. And she's being taunted by a woman who's sleeping with her husband. hmm, but this is interesting. In 1 Samuel 1, 9, it says something that you may overlook. In the New Living Translation, it says, once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up. Now, in some other translations, it says she stood up, and you read that, and you think, well, duh, somebody's going to go do something. They stand up, or they 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 walk. I mean, that's But this is a Hebrew idiom. It's a short way of saying something. When it says Hannah got up, or she stood up, it's a Hebrew way of saying she put her foot down. Hannah is saying, I've had enough. And then what does she do? What action is it that she takes when she says, I've had enough? She prays. I cannot overemphasize the power of prayer. I could go on and on and on about the power of prayer. You guys, most of you, haven't seen it. I've seen it a lot. And there are people here that can attest to this. A doctor walks in and says, you have stage four cancer. A Doctor walks in and says, you have this or that. And dad and I follow Ralph Clay back into the chapel And Ralph Clay anoints this person with oil and prays over him. And I'm listening to Ralph pray. And folks, you can feel it. Ralph is closer to God than I'll probably ever be. He's a righteous man, not perfect, but righteous. And when he prays, you can feel it, and he puts all of himself into it. I tell people, it's like, you know, the president's got the red phone, connects him to, the, to Moscow. God's, Ralph's got the red phone to God. And I've seen people walk out of that chapel and a week later say, healed, cured. Hannah got up to pray. And I mean real prayer. I'm not talking about your average dinner time prayer. I'm talking about tears and snot, and I'm talking about that kind of prayer. You want to know what kind of prayer is? I heard this story from the late, great Dr. Fred Craddock, one of the best preachers I've ever heard. And Dr. Craddock was teaching preaching at the Candler School of Theology in Atlanta, Georgia. And one night, he was going to see one of his el- the elders at his church in the hospital. He was having surgery the next day. And Dr. Craddock walked in, and he had, like Ralph has, his little chaplain badge walking around the hospital. That keeps people and security and nurses from stopping you going anywhere. Nobody stops Ralph going anywhere at SOMC. And Dr. Craddock was walking around as chaplain, and, and, and a woman was pacing outside of the little worship and prayer area in the hospital. And she looked up, and she saw the chaplain badge, and she grabbed him, said, you come with me, and pulled him in, and said, my husband is in surgery right now. We have three kids at home. You're going to pray for him. And so Dr. Craddock started to pray. And apparently she didn't think that was good enough, so she interrupted. And she pointed at the cross on the wall, and she said, Lord, don't you take my husband. I've got kids at home. I don't have a job. Kids are young, they wouldn't understand. Don't you take my husband. And she went on like that for about 15 minutes. The next day, Dr. Craddock went back to that hospital. And he was walking down, he was checking on how the elder went through his surgery. And he saw the woman. And the woman walked up to him and said, I'm so sorry about the way I behaved last night, you must have thought I was a crazy woman. said, but my husband came through. Okay, so I guess he heard our prayer. And he said, our prayer? He heard you, woman. That's the kind of prayer I'm talking about. A prayer of desperation. The prayer where you just have white knuckle grip. On the foot of the throne room of God. That kind of prayer. And so God answers it. But her prayer is interesting because this is not really let's make a deal. Right? What was the Powerball this week? 700 million? How many of you tried to play let's make a deal with God this week? Be honest. Yeah, Gary raised his hand. We got one honest person here. The Browns fan raises his hand, folks, seriously. (laughs) This is not let's make a deal because, as I said, the reason there was such a cultural push for women to have lots of kids was economic and national. It was We need to have more people work in the farm. We need to have more people work in the family business. We need to have more people taking care of me in my old age. And the nation was like, yes, yes, have more kids because we need more young men who can serve in the army whenever there's a war. This, This was the push. And Hannah says, if you give me a son to take away my shame, I'll give him to you and I'll get nothing. My shame is gone, but... I'll get no money. I don't have a soldier to contribute. If you were a Nazarite, that's what not cutting the hair meant. In, in, In ancient Israel, if you didn't cut your hair, you were publicly proclaiming, one, my life is dedicated to God, solely dedicated to God. So you saw somebody looking like Ted Nugent or ZZ Top they were sending that message, I I belong to God. Two, I don't drink alcohol. Now, you may say, well, so what? Most pastors probably don't drink alcohol. In that day and age, folks, did you want to drink the water? Flint, Michigan, and Jackson, Mississippi have cleaner water than they did in ancient Israel. You drank the water in ancient Israel, you spent a lot of time in the outhouse, That's why they drank so much wine, because the fermentation, you know, helped kill the bacteria and so forth. But these people said, no, I'll just just drink water. They didn't have coffee. Lord knows how they made it. He said he will be a Nazirite. She got to see him maybe once a year. He didn't have a large salary, as no pastor should. Let me say that again, as no pastor should. I make half of what I used to make when I practiced law, less than half, and that's fine. Pastors shouldn't be driving Mercedes Benz or begging for private jets. You can fly commercial. I've done it. It can happen. I've even flown out of Huntington, which shows you the faith I have in God. This was not let's make a deal. Hannah was saying, Remove my shame, and you will have my child dedicated wholly to you. There's still pockets where this exists today. In the conservative Orthodox Jewish community, In many Roman Catholic communities, it's considered a blessing to have a child in ministry. It's not so much in the evangelical church anymore, which is a shame. And I will tell you as a full-time minister, well, full-time minister, part-time Megan's assistant. But the ministry doesn't pay well. There's a lot of heartache. Every time somebody leaves the church, you can't help but feel a little hurt. But, but, when you've been praying for somebody, and they come forward, and you baptize them, and you see them grow, best thing in the world. you go home the big smile on your face you can't help it and you think about it all week ministry's a pretty good gig i wish more people would think about it because churches like ours the church at large in america is shrinking but conservative churches are growing a little bit they took a little hit because of COVID. We still have people watching online, and, and we have taken that hit. But there's a pastor shortage in America, a huge ministry shortage. And we need to pray about it, and we need to encourage people with any interest. Go. And I'm telling people now, look, I'm looking for people not so much in their 20s or teens anymore. I'm looking for people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s and saying, hey, look, when you retire, why don't you go into ministry? Once you've got your pension, you're not having to worry about making peanuts at the church. You don't have to worry about that. Come into ministry because it is a blessing. And Hannah said, take my son as your minister. Once he was weaned, as I said, she saw him maybe once a year, that's it. She didn't get a daily hug, nothing. She said, God, he's, he's yours. Her shame was removed, but she got nothing else out of it. I love the way Tim Keller put it when he, when he preached on this. He said, Hannah always wanted a child for herself. But now, when she went in prayer, why her prayer was answered is she wanted a child for God. If you think about it, how should this work if she was making a deal? Here's how it should have worked she prays, she's pregnant, she has peace. Right? She prays, God, if you do this for me, you'll receive my son. She gets pregnant. Then she has peace. But what happens? She prays, she has peace, and then she gets pregnant. You see the difference? There's a big difference there. Because once she had taken it off herself, once it was not just about her, and she said, he'll be yours. This is for your honor and for your glory. Once that happened, then she had the peace, and okay, now it's in God's hands. Now it's up to him. So whatever he decides, I will have peace. That's what happens. People often ask me, one of the things I'm asked about all the time is the book of James. That you will get what you want if you pray with confidence. That's not what it says. You've got to read the whole context Got to read the verses before it. What does it say? When you pray in God's will, you can pray with confidence and you will receive it. If you pray what God wants, yes, then you will receive it. That's why none of you won the Powerball this week. And Dad was really looking forward to that tithe. So, Hannah prays, she has peace, she becomes pregnant. And then in chapter 2, she prays again, and this is what she prays. My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. In other words, his husband's other wife. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy or set apart like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows what you have done, He will judge your actions. The bow of the mighty is now broken, and those who stumbled are now strong. Those who are well fed are now starving, those who are starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children, and the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave but raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's. And he has set the world in order. He will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. He gives power to his king. I want you to notice that. He gives power to his king. Is there a king in Israel yet? No. Who's she talking about? He gives power to his king. He increases the strength of his anointed one. Do you know what anointed one means? Messiah. Who is Hannah talking about? Folks, if I ask a question you don't know, the answer is always Jesus. Hannah is prophesying about Jesus Christ. Do you know what Christ means, by the way? King. King Prophet, priest, and king. The Lord judges throughout there. He gives power to his king, to Jesus Christ. Now, does that prayer sound like anything you have read in the New Testament? It should. If you've read the Gospel of Luke, it's almost the same as Mary's prayer when she realizes she's pregnant with the Messiah. What Mary prays and what Hannah prayers prays is a reversal of culture. The poor shall be lifted up, the dead shall be raised. What do they mean by that? They don't mean that God's gonna rain Mercedes Benzes and 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 winning lottery tickets down on you. That's not what it means. It means in the eyes of God, no matter what you have, no matter where you're at, no matter what your bank account is, no matter what you drive, no matter what you look like, no matter what you wear, that if you are faithful to God in his eyes, you're a prince or a princess. You're his child. And he loves you. You can be as rich as Jeff Bezos But if you're not faithful to God, your eternity is wasted. Everything has been flipped on its head. Weak are strong, strong are weak, and God works through weakness. God works through weakness because then he gets the glory which he deserves. Hannah in verse 10 is given the words of God to prophesy the coming of our king Jesus Christ. There is no king. There will be no king in Israel for a while. And then, and we'll get to it, when God gives him the king, who does he give him? Saul? Ugh. We want to talk about a disaster. And then when they get the king they want, who is it? A short little shepherd boy. What is Hannah doing? Hannah is pointing forward to another impossible birth. And through that impossible birth, through his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, it's the only way we can remove our shame. There are fancy theological terms for it. I won't bore you with it. I don't know. If you're not walking around with shame, and shame, by the way, is not a bad thing. If you do something stupid and wrong, you should be ashamed. But how do we get rid of that shame? Because if you just carry it around forever, it's heavy. It's heavy. I've done stupid stuff in my life, haven't you? Huh? I told you a couple weeks ago. You run into somebody I went to high school with or college with, and they say, your pastor, that guy, back in the 80s and 90s, I saw him do this. Now, I've heard, I've some people have said stuff I didn't do. But they're probably right. 90% of the times, yeah, I did that. When I was young and stupid, I was young and stupid. I had a English teacher in high school. When I was at Wheelersburg before I left for Hollywood, she was mean. I, I I say that with no need of repentance. She objectively was just mean. And the only thing she seemed to like was this tree. This tree right outside of her window. She would go out there, she would sit under it, she would water it, she would just take care of this tree. And she was mean as a snake to every kid who walked in her class. So I was at a party one night. I was 15, 16, I don't know. And there were adult beverages there. And somebody said, Let's go get that tree. I said, Heck yeah. We jumped in our cars. About three carloads of teenagers go up to Wheelersburg High School to cut down that tree. None of us thought to bring a saw, though. Um, We did try to get one of the linebackers just kind of lean on it. (laughs) Maybe that would bring it down. That didn't work. Then somebody went off and got a saw. We took that tree. This is how dumb we were. We went down Pirate Drive, or now it's called Pirate Drive in Rich Gill's car, with that tree sticking out of his back seat. We took our prize. That's how smart I was when I was 15, 16, folks. I got called into the office the next week, because here's what you need to understand before you believe in a conspiracy theory. Most people can't keep their mouths shut. I got caught. For some reason, Randy Parker, when he was principal of Wheelersburg High School, it was like, what's his name? And welcome back, Cotter. He would call me in and with a stern face, and as soon as he closed the door, he'd start laughing. And he looked at me and said, why did you take the tree? I said, "Um, under the advice of my attorney, I can either confirm or deny. He just laughed and he said, go back to class. Don't quit being an idiot. I said, yes, sir. But I did a lot of stupid stuff. Some of it was just in good nature, like that. It was just dumb, teenage fun. But a lot of it was hurtful to people. And I look back at it, and I'm I'm ashamed. But the Bible says that there are a couple things that happen if you come to faith in Jesus Christ. You come to faith in Jesus Christ, the first thing that happens is that your sins are forgiven. That's one. Two, Jesus Christ, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he grants his perfect life to you to be judged by. And those two things wash away your shame. This is how I'll wrap up. Not that you should be in a hurry. There's no real football today. The Bengals got robbed last week. Darn whistle. Um, Oh, come on. Even ESPN said they got robbed, all right? But I remember hearing a pastor tell this story. He was counseling a young couple who were getting ready to get married. And he and his wife sat down with the bride to be and said, Is there anything you haven't told your husband? And, And she was convicted and she said yes and she went to her husband and she admitted that the year before she cheated on him and the husband at first was shaken the husband to be he walked out of the house he got in his car he took a drive he was gone for hours she sat there and cried and she thought, I've lost him. This is over. He came back home after a few hours with a box. And he held the box in his lap and he looked up at her with tears in his eyes and he said, Do you believe you sinned? She said, Yes. He asked, Did you repent? Did you ask God for forgiveness? She said, Yes. He said, okay. He gave her the box. He said, I want you to go change into that. And She thought, what is this? She went into her bathroom and she opened it up and it was a pure white robe. And she walked back out in this white robe and she said, why? He said, because God has forgiven you. I have no right to hold it against you. You've been washed pure. Let's start our life that way. You come to faith in Jesus Christ, you turn from your sins, you ask for forgiveness. You don't receive anything in return in this world but your shame is gone. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in the fact that you are outside of time and you know the future, that you give us prophecies like Hannah's prayer That prophesies the coming of our King. So we know your word is true. And we know, dear Lord, that if we come to you, no matter what we've done, we may face consequences in this life, but more importantly, in eternity, we are forgiven and we are washed clean. We thank you for this. We don't deserve it. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ Community Church, God goes with you. Have a great week. What am I supposed to do on Sunday afternoons now that there are no bingles? Anyway, see you later. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.